Good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to Stories from the Vortex. I'm Matthew Kressel, and I'm lucky enough to be joined, as always, by Mary Lank. We're back, yay! And by the one and only man from the land down under, the insufferable Robert Haynes. Well, I wanted to say we're back, but um, Mary's already said it, so hello. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, we are back after an approximately nine-month hiatus we are back in action. So cue applause here. <laughs> yeah. Woo! And the cat um, meowed. And the cat meowed. Well, at least the cat didn't howl, I suppose. <laughs> Why have we been gone? Well, there's a number of reasons. The, perhaps the biggest of which was the technical side of things, as our longtime listeners, and hopefully if you're listening to this, you are a longtime listener, and we haven't lost you, will know that we had a whole series of technical issues involving our recording software and especially my microphone. Well, as you may have already noticed, I have a new microphone. Yay. And we seem to have sorted out the technical issues on the recording side of things, so hopefully we sound better than we ever have before. Or at least I do. I don't know about the other two. <laughs> and my, my bird's now outside, so you will not hear a bird chirping. Yes, we did have some feedback about that, as I recall. Yeah. Um, speaking of feedback, our last episode, <laughs> our last episode was the uh, was the review we did of the Tenth Doctor Adventures, the set of three audios from Big Finish. And as we were recording it, I had a feeling it was going to be controversial, and sure enough, no sooner did it come out than it turned <laughs> out it was quite controversial, particularly my comments. And while I, by and large, stand by my overall opinion of them, which was that they were very run-of-the-mill, they weren't at all what I wanted out of them, I was perhaps a bit more negative than I intended to be, and was certainly a lot more fervent with my opinions than I normally am. Uh, so much so that one of you wrote in to say that you had found it uh, very confrontational and deeply unpleasant to listen to. And actually put down our hiatus to us having had a falling out. Well, the good news is, is that we didn't have a falling out. Yeah. Uh, we are all still here. And yeah. I was very forthright with my opinions and particularly uh, my overall opinions on the new series, which I tend to actually genuinely like. I was particularly down about Aliens of London World War Three, which is actually a story I quite enjoy. So... I can only apologize for the rather heavy and doom-laden episode that you received about nine months ago, which was mostly down to me. Yeah, and uh, partly because you were so passionate in your dislike um, yeah. that I think I got a little vehement in trying to convince you otherwise. <laughs> Indeed. So, it's down to me, too. <laughs> well, it should be said as well, and I have a feeling from the way we've talked before we started recording that all three of us suffered this to some extent. Yeah. I recognize now, having gone back and listened to that episode and looked at the way I was listening to Big Finish audios, I was on my way to a massive Big Finish burnout. And I suspect that there's listeners out there screaming, Blasphemy! And having said that, given that we are, by and large, a Big Finish podcast. Mm. But I had reached a point by last summer that I had gotten burned out on a lot of what was coming out, especially the newer stuff, which I wasn't enjoying as much as I had in the past. So much so that not long after we recorded our 10th Doctor episode, I listened to Gallifrey Intervention Earth, and then did not listen to another Big Finish audio for two straight months. I did not mm. listen to... A podcast, a Sherlock Holmes audio, Blake 7, you name it. I went 
two months cold turkey without listening to anything from the company. And not necessarily a bad thing, because it allowed me some perspective to go off and listen to other things. There's a lot of great audio drama podcasts being put out. Uh, stuff like Welcome to Night Vale, for example. There's also a great science fiction podcast called Ars Paradoxica, which if you haven't heard, you should. But I digress. What finally got me back into Big Finish was their Philip Hinchcliffe Presents release, The Genesis Chamber, which I quite liked. And I've slowly been making my way back to Big Finish since then. As those of you who are on our Facebook group will know, I've been doing the occasional review over on Warp Factor of Big Finish's output. So it's been a bit of a journey from where we left off back to here. And I suspect that that's probably been true of all three of us, not just me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I guess I was the same. I, I want to listen to an, an audio and enjoy it. But when you're, I don't know, having to listen to so much and, and you think, well, I've got to get through this, it becomes less of a, about listening to it or, and enjoying it, uh, but more about, oh, I've got to listen to this because I've got to review it. But also, I will say with regards to the 10th Doctor audios in that a lot of the audios that I've listened to, some I can't really remember, whereas even though I, I was a bit on Matthew's side with my review of the 10th Doctor audios, I will say that I do actually quite remember them. So they did stick in my mind. So they must have done something, right? But, um, yeah, I, I will stand by that I, I, like Matthew, was expecting more from them. They just seemed a bit like fairy floss or, you know, just something that's gone gone in 50 seconds rather than something that's got sticking power. And um, But it must have sticking power because I do remember them well. So there you go. And... Yeah, we're sorry that uh, we've been away for so long, but uh, it's good to be back and it's good to uh, be listening to things uh, again, isn't it? Yeah, and like, like Matthew, I went through a burnout of sorts. Um, not so much that I didn't want to listen to any, but I just realized that time was passing. Uh, one day, I it's been, like Matthew, months, and I had not listened to a single audio mm. uh, play. I hadn't listened to any audio books. I hadn't listened to any podcasts. It's like, whoa, I must have needed this break. Uh, and I'm still not back listening to podcasts, even though I contribute to some. But <laughs> <laughs> there's an online uh, Facebook group that reviews Doctor Who things in general, the books, the TV shows, the, the big finish audios. And uh, I've kept up a little bit with them. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's only been recently when, when I contacted you, Matthew, I think it said, oh, hey, do we want to do this again? I kind of miss this. So, yes. Yes. So here we are. Yeah, I have to say, this is the what you, what you, the listeners, are hearing now is the first time we've gotten together since we did that episode. This is the first time we've gotten together and chatted in nine months. So Partly because you haven't had a microphone. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had a microphone, which does not help matters. <laughs> no, we've just, I mean, we've always been communicating over Facebook anyway, so um, right. it's like we haven't not been in contact with each other, but um, yeah, just lack the ability to get together. Basically. Yeah, and I think talking about the burnout, part of it is caused, I think, by the fact that Big Finish is putting out so much at this point that trying to keep uh, up uh, has yeah. become... There reaches a point, as you were saying, Robert, that it stops becoming a joy and it just becomes a chore. And I think that it had kind of become that point. I have mm. to say, it's been nice to sort of step back, be a bit more choosy about what I wanted to listen to. And I've found plenty to enjoy. But I think 
doing stuff with the regularity that we did, and particularly if you're not enjoying everything you're doing, and more mm-hmm. often than not, not enjoying things, um, mm-hmm. I think that we had kind of reached a point where the straw had broke the camel's back, and I guess, I guess the Tenth Doctor Adventures was that for me. <laughs> but that's not that's not a, a slight on the audios themselves. This is that burnout, and um, when you're expecting more from something that um, I don't know. But yeah, it's good to be back. Indeed. So, with all three of us talking about things that we wanted to listen to in the future, and something that we definitely came to, and indeed talking about the hiatus, one of the things that's happened during the hiatus has been the sad passing of the late, great Mm. Sir John Hurt, best known to Doctor Who fans, of course, as the War Doctor, and he, of course, had come to work for Big Finish. And if nothing else, to say something positive in this episode... As a fan, I will always be thankful to Big Finish for the fact that there are now 12 additional adventures with that Doctor yep. that we would yep. not have had otherwise. Um, and it still shocks me that somebody of the caliber of John Hurt came and worked for Big Finish and apparently yeah. had a great time doing it. So much so that when they decided to launch a range of H.G. Wells adaptations primarily because H.G. Wells' works finally fell out of copyright in the UK at the end of last year. They cast him in the very first one they did, which is what we're going to be talking about today from February of this year, The Invisible Man. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. The stranger came early in February, one wintry day, through a biting wind and a driving snow. The Invisible Man. You theorize away. I'm going to ask no more questions, but only take his money. I am an experimental investigator. I do not wish to be disturbed in my work. I'm interested, I suppose, in light. Where the devil are you, sir? I'm standing before you, man. Inches from your face. Come. Let us shake hands like gentlemen. I do believe he'd already started to unravel, even then. Please! He's gone mad! Everyone! The invisible man's gone mad! It's too late! Too late for you all! Amongst you. Dear God. Dear merciful God, defend us. All is darkness now. Darkness rising. Big finish. We love stories. Well, audio is a great format to be doing the Invisible Man in, because of course, you know, yes. you have voices talking to you out of the ether. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was something that when you listen to the um, audio, I like the way that they handle the fact that they can't see somebody. Uh, it's not done in a clunky way, is it? Not at all. Uh, something that I very much enjoyed about this audio is I've read The Invisible Man. It was many, yes, many years ago, and I was a little bit shorter and definitely a few pounds lighter then. Weren't we all? Weren't we all? One of the things I really enjoyed about listening to this was that Jonathan Barnes's script seemed to 
if it didn't copy stuff outright from Wells's book, there were certainly the echoes of it. Because I listened to this yes. on yes. my walks, and I was sitting there walking along, going, "This sounds so familiar," and I have a feeling it's because he drew so much from yes. H.G. Wells's original work. And then I think the whole, yeah, it's a very faithful adaptation, and I think that's something that's a hallmark of what Big Finish has done in all of the classics releases that I've listened to, starting with the Phantom of the Opera. That they go in and they do proper, faithful adaptations of things, bringing it to the audio medium, of course. And also, yeah, one thing that I, I notice is that they don't, unlike, say, Hollywood, who would choose an adaptation of something, they'd contemporize it, as they did with War of the Worlds, and mm. even relocated it to the US. Whereas this was very faithful to the period, the time setting, characters, how they spoke. So that's something I really appreciated. That was a faithful, true adaption. Well, and yeah. I would like to interject here that even though the book is over 100 years old, not everyone has read it. Um, true. So if if um, listening to this audio is the first time that you've encountered the story, um, we need to warn you that there will probably be spoilers because we're going to talk about the story. Uh, oh, yeah. So if someone who wants to listen to this first um, then I suggest you do that and then come back again. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. I think that's something else as well, that, you know, that something we don't always get to do is, of course, drop that kind of spoiler warning, and there's not always the opportunity to do so. But we we will. It's something that we have received a listener request about. Uh, at least a couple of you have messaged us about it, so we will attempt to do that in the future. That said, actually, Mary, coming back to your point, is something they point out in the CD extras. I think it's actually Dan Starkey points out that for a lot of people, The Invisible Man isn't a book. It's a movie, primarily the yeah. one made in the 1930s with Claude Rains that Universal made as mm. part of their horror cycle. Oh, yeah, DVD. And available on DVD now, so go get it. And that's not a particularly faithful adaptation of the original book uh, either. Uh, so one of the great things about this is, is that it is... A, a genuinely faithful adaptation of the original book, which is something we haven't really had no. before now anyways. Mm. And something else is that audio, you know, part of the, I guess the allure of the Invisible Man is the fact that it's a very visual gag. Mm. In mm. that it's, you know, he's there, he's not We're there. Taking off the bandages and nothing underneath. Right, which is something that works great visually on screen, and it's a wonderful, iconic moment from that film. But at the same token, I sat here when they announced it and went, okay, it's great that you're doing this, and it's even more wonderful you have John Hurt in it. How in the world are you going to pull this off? Like the new monsters old doctors with the weeping angels. <laughs> right. And the way they pull it off here is that they, it's the only thing that's not particularly faithful to the original book is there's a new framing device. There's yeah. two characters who essentially are narrating the events to an extent. The uh, Dr. Kemp character and the Thomas Marvel character. And their framing device, I think, is where a lot of Wells's prose manages to work its way back into it. Because, mm. you know, you have to describe somebody tearing off all the bandages and handing off their fake nose to somebody, which is a great moment on audio, it must be said, just despite how visual it is in nature. But it gets across in your mind what's happening, though, doesn't it? Oh, and, yeah. It, it paints the picture beautifully of yeah. the big reveal. Mm -hmm. mm. And, it, and I mean, part of the reason I think this has gotten as much attention as it's gotten is the fact that it's it's got John Hurt in it. And going back to what we were saying, I'm still amazed that Big Finish managed to ever hook him into something to begin with, oh, let yeah. alone convinced him to come back again and again. 
And this was the very last thing he recorded for them before he passed away. And which is um, even more amazing that despite being ill, that, you know, he comes and do, does these things. And, well, not only that he did it, but he comes across so wonderfully on audio. I mean, there's a, there's an element of Victorian melodrama to Wells' original novel that the moment you start listening to the dialogue in this, I think, will become incredibly apparent. And it's very easy to play the character of Griffin, the Invisible Man, slightly to the right side of parody. That's what Claude Rains did in the original mm. film from the 30s. Hurt manages to find exactly the right note to play it on. Mm. There's times when he is incredibly sinister. There's times he's mm. incredibly funny. And there's other times when he is incredibly sympathetic and mm. pitiful sounding. And what's even more amazing is when he's got a scene where he does all of the above in the same scene. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you get that sense of madness that, that that he's descending into. Yeah, they got him to begin with, I think, is something I keep coming back to. But the fact that he came in and gave such an incredible performance. I mean, if you don't know the original book, you might not necessarily know. Well, I guess the cover art would give it away, you know, who Hurt mm. was playing. But he just makes this wonderful journey and transformation across the thing. And there's a long stretch at the beginning of the second disc when Griffin and Kemp are sitting down. And Griffin is explaining how they've gone through this entire process of making him invisible. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of that is drawn from Wells's original novel. And it's something that, in the hands of a lesser actor, could have just been downright boring. Because it gets... It doesn't ever get incredibly technical, but there's a lot of pseudoscience and stuff flying I around. Know. Yeah, but the refract, refract, refractive qualities. The, the refractive quality of this and, yeah. you know, putting yeah. things between <laughs> dynamos and everything else. It, it's very it's very yeah. Victorian science. Yeah. But sort of reminds keep... me of, you know what it reminds me of? The, the evil of the Daleks and the time machine with mirrors and that sort of reminded me. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good point. I hadn't even considered that, thinking about that story. But you're drawn into that, and indeed I think you're drawn into a lot of the events here by the fact that John Hurt has one of those voices. That, you know, the man could be reading the phone book and I think you would listen to him. <laughs> and he didn't sound ill during his performance. It had a uh, strength to it, didn't it? Oh, well, yes. now that's where I'm going to step in and say that was the one thing that... When I first listened through this story, it didn't occur to me at all, but it was the second time I listened through it that it struck me that there are times in the script where um, he actually hurts the man that he's shaking his hand to you know, impose on him mm-hmm, his yes. and his presence. And various points throughout the story where he, the, the invisible man has incredible strength and endurance because he's he's running everywhere um and, and or he's hitting people over the head and knocking them out or mm-hmm. you know, he's just doing all these very very physical things which then is counter to the voice that i'm hearing um because the voice and maybe it's because i know that john hurt was very sick through this um and he is an old man <laughs> that mm-hmm. to me it was the sickness and the old manish that was coming through at times in his voice. And I'm thinking, and which was then not helping me with the picture of how strong and, and all that, that the invisible man should be. So yeah, I, I, it's probably because I, I know so much about John Hurt. Yeah, I know. I, I, know, I, know, I, know. I, 
I did the same thing listening to think of uh, listening to it thinking, oh, this is a, a sick old man. But then I then I thought of, and looked at it for the fact that here's someone who's going mad because of this process. So I, I sort of put it down to that that was that, that madness that he's going through. It sort of made me, you know, with the voice that made it sort of like he's losing his sanity, and and that was why he was like that. If you know what I mean, with the the voice. Yeah, it's it's not something that occurred to me at all. But Mary, what it reminds me of is the complaints that people occasionally have about Tim Trelaw in the Third Doctor box sets <laughs> that have been coming out, uh, where people go, "I just can't believe he's Pertwee," and it's like, well, that's a that's an odd that's a problem with you as an audience member, not more than perhaps it is with the actual release itself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's times when you can't turn your brain off the fact that you know certain information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I said it. it I think too that his his performance is amazing, yeah. uh, and yes, his voice does suggest so many different intents as he delivers his his lines and that that yes, it's just it, it just could be me and that I know him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would go so far as to say, I mean, there hasn't been that many versions of this. Surprisingly, you would think that you know the, there would be multiple on versions of, of the Invisible Man. On audio, I mean, it, it lends itself rather well. I think as Jonathan Barnes himself points out in the extras, you know, it's basically a story about a voice coming out of the ether talking to you. And if that's not a good summaration of what audio drama basically is, I don't know what would be. Mm-hmm. But they conveyed it so well, didn't they? This is yeah. A big finish do well is portraying something without, well, in most cases, without sort of some clunky thing. The dialogue comes across as sort of natural. So, Which isn't always easy when you're dealing with Victorian dialogue, especially the way yeah. Wells wrote and the way it is here. I mean, there's an, there's an American character in a pub at one point that stands out to me. Not And the accent's not what got me. It was the way he was talking. And it's like, this is definitely a 19th century Englishman trying to write a 19th century American. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. That's always been a problem, though. But it works in context. I, I wondered, has he been in anything else where he, this, uh, where he played an American? Because he sounded so familiar as the American. Which which actor is it? Uh, David Rental, I believe. I don't have uh, the I internet up at the moment. I anything on him, but uh, I yes, swear yes, I've heard him as an American in something else. <laughs> Well, it's like in the UK, there's like six actors who play Americans in absolutely everything. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's uh, Corey Johnson, Shane Rimmer. If, you know, if it's if it's a production in the UK and it has an American in it, chances are it's one <laughs> it, of the two of them are going to be in it. And they probably went all went to the same school, learning the same way to do an American accent. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, you know, yeah. moving beyond hurt, the cast in this is is fantastic. Oh, they yeah. are. I didn't even know Dan Stark. Was uh, playing a role, so he yeah. disguised his, his speaking very well. I, I just had no idea Dan Starkey was in it. <laughs> yeah, and Annette Bedland is in this as well, which oh yeah was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah, she, she's an actress that it seems like for me anyway, she's popping up everywhere. Everywhere I turn, she's in something I'm seeing or listening to. But she yeah, was I think very good though, wasn't she? She was very good. Her and Starkey both very good. good and this playing the kind of the rustics at the beginning. Um, I have to say, my favorite scene in this whole thing is uh, a confrontation between them and Griffin, where at the end of it, he basically slams the door in their face. Uh, but right before he, does, he had no money. 
Yeah, can I cordially invite you to the following suggestions? Go to the devil and go yes, hang! Yes, yes, excellent. I have to say, I almost signed off on my comments about the Tenth Doctor audios earlier with that line, saying, if you don't agree to me, let me invite you to the following suggestions. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. That was, that was mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. enjoyable. But you also have... We talked about the framing device earlier of uh, Kemp and Thomas Marvel, played by uh, Blake Ritson uh, and Peter Noble, respectively. And Blake Ritson, I realized, listening to the extras, because I thought, once again, Mary, somebody else whose voice sounded familiar, and I couldn't figure out why. Uh-huh. And David Richardson talks about the extras. They've had him in probably a dozen Big Finish audios. <laughs> and sure enough, if you plug his name into the search bar, he's been in a little bit of anything and everything that Big Finish has done in basically the last six or seven years. Oh, no kidding. But he's fantastic in this as Kemp. And Peter Noble does well as Marvel, who's just sort of this... I, I, they call him a man of the road. I'm assuming that's sort of a 19th century euphemism for a homeless drifter. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. And they both they both fall in with uh, Griffin at different points, and also through them that this story is told, and also their interactions with him illustrating just how far gone this man happens to be. Oh, yeah. And the one big change that's made from the novel to the audio is there at the very end, the last scene yes. between the two yes. of them. Which is definitely an embellishment on the part of Jonathan Barnes, but it works in context, particularly given the way that people have written sequels and stuff to this story over the years, that the way the ending of this is makes perfect sense. Yeah, I love the the sting in the tail kind of thing. When you think uh, here's someone out to sort of do away with this invisible man, and yet he wants to become just like him. Yeah. Well, it surprised me. Um, story-wise, because I had never heard the story, I haven't seen the Claude Rains movie, was that I anticipated eventually becoming sympathetic to the Invisible Man, that whatever Mm -hmm. the experiment uh, that he was uh, subjecting himself to was leading to so many um, inconveniences and people hating... Laying naked in the snow? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really? I actually thought there was going to be a point when the story would turn and we would learn to sympathize with him. So I found it interesting. And, you know, of course, this is more a a tribute to uh, H.G. Wells than it is to Big Finish that, uh, no, the man just goes farther and farther down the road of madness and danger to everybody. He's he's killing and and maiming. You know, he's doing all of this awful stuff as he goes over the edge. Uh, So that surprised me. Yeah, but mind you, it's, it's in uh, some respect. Oh, go ahead, Robert. Sorry. As you say, uh, what I find in a lot of things, is, is, which gets very clever, is that you know sometimes you find yourself empathising with a, a bad person. It's like in movies when when Achilles is just about to be discovered and he's doing all his damnedest to hide, and mm-hmm. yet you're sort of hoping that the killer can escape the, the clutches of the people looking for him. And I right. think this is what it does. You sort of have that feeling for the invisible man himself. Oh, he'll get away from this and he'll, whereas really he should be discovered and done away with going to realize right. the error of his ways or something. You know, that's yeah. how insensibilities yeah. being applied to over a hundred year old story. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, Wells wrote, in some respects, the first modern anti-hero with Griffin, in some respects. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a couple of moments in it that I found that you could find sympathy for him at the very beginning and at the very end. Mm-hmm. But even at the very end, he's done some very terrible things. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even even when he gets essentially beaten into a bloody pulp and is laying dying mm-hmm. naked in the snow in a field somewhere, it's still hard to have sympathy for the guy who... 15 minutes earlier was sending off, not even that long uh, in the audio, was sending letters off to people declaring himself uh, the master of this town and welcome to, you know, day one of year one of my reign. Yes. And it's kind of like. Yes, my reign of terror. <laughs> a reign of terror. But, yeah, it's something with him, you know, that with the same way he died. I, I couldn't help thinking of the man John Hurt dying. Uh, so it sort of add a bit of poignancy to that sort of moment yeah. as well. So, hmm. I mean, this is in some. I mean, it is in many ways a final performance from the guy who brought us, you know, the Elephant Man and yes. Winston Smith mm-hmm. in 1984, and it's yes. sort of all of all of that sort of being channeled into this performance. And given that he spends time being absolutely bonkers, crazy, cackling, and whatnot, mm-hmm. this it could have very easily have been parody. Yeah, and it could yes. have been utterly unconvincing. Mm-hmm. And instead, John Hurt manages to ride the fine line between all of these conflicting emotions and attitudes mm-hmm. and manages to present an incredibly compelling performance from what is frankly melodramatic material at times. Yes. Yeah, yeah the horror <laughs> grows as the story develops. Ugh. Which I think is just the talent of John Hurt. Um, who could else could you imagine in the role? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think did a fabulous job. Yeah, I mean, Tony Flyer, who's one of my fellow reviewers at Warp Factor, did the review of this, and I sent him, I sent him an interesting message, shall we say, when he told me he was reviewing this. It was like, curse you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his review was probably better than anything I could have done, if only for the fact that he pointed out that Hurt's performance may well be the definitive Invisible Man, at least mm-hmm. for the time being. Mm-hmm. And it and it very well, I think, overall as a production. It's probably the definitive version of this novel on audio to date. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, the fact and, that it's so faithful to the uh, original novel. Yeah, and where it makes changes, it does so because of medium or because it, yeah. at the end of it, it's a wonderful twist at the end that works. Yeah. And having heard The First Men in the Moon, which was released earlier this month, I can say that it's a trend that looks set to continue, though I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with The Shape of Things to Come, given that that book is essentially a textbook from the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be... It's like the movie it, Predestination, though. Uh, that was something that was deemed unfilmable. I was going to say, yeah, I'll never... I, for, Kirby... When I watched uh, it, it was such a fabulous... So people can do uh, such good adaptations that will surprise you, so... Right. I... <laughs> So on predestination, I remember Kirby when he found out that somebody had filmed a version of Robert Heinlein's Tell going, they filmed yeah. the unfilmable. Yeah. <laughs> and very much with this, I, it's not something I would have expected to have worked well on audio, but, you know, given that An Invisible Man is, as I said, a visual gag more than yes. anything else. Mm-hmm. But yes. my God, it works well here. I think in, in part because of. Ken Bentley doing the direction overall, but also Jonathan Barnes's script, yeah. the narration that we get from Blake Ritson, especially as Kemp, but also more than anything else, I think John Hurt's performance. So thank you for the memories, sir. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. Amen to that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's well worth, well worth the money spent. 
So I think it, we it, all agree that this is this is something we highly recommend. Yes. Yeah. If you if you if you could never be bothered to read the original book, shame on you. Um, it's only a short novel too. So it is a short book. I I jested the listeners, of course. But if you never find time to read the original novel, this is the next best thing. Exactly. Yeah. As I said, their adaptation of the First Men in the Moon follows very much in the same sort of vein, and it is excellent as well. So I highly recommend uh, that. Who's and we may talk about the adaptation of Shape of Things to Come. Um, it's coming out in May. Uh, I don't know who's scripting. I think Guy Adams is scripting it. I know uh, Nicola Walker is in it. Oh, okay. I think it's I Nicola she's Walker. She's a nice and... character in it. Yes, Liv Chenka. Yes, it's Nicola Walker and I think Sam Troughton, uh, if memory serves. Ooh, is so. that any relation to Sir Patrick? I believe he's the grandson. Oh, okay. Um. Don't hold me to that, though. Uh, my memory is my memory is good, but it may not be that good. Let me put it that way. Um, but yes, The Invisible Man, go listen to it when you get the opportunity. And we'd love yep. to hear what you, the listeners, think of The Invisible Man, or indeed anything from Big Finish you've listened to recently. Please get in touch with us, feedback.vortex at yahoo.com. Speaking of feedback, I do want to... And the, and, out. Uh, uh, Matthew, and the Facebook page... And the Facebook page. I forgot about the Facebook page. Uh, well, actually, it's a group. It's not a page. They're two separate things, Robert. Um, yeah. You can find us by doing a search for Stories from the Vortex. I believe our current cover image, which is what shows up when you do a search, is a bunch of Big Finish audio covers, so you should recognize yeah. us when you find us. Mm. Uh, but speaking of feedback, it's something that we should have read out in our 10th Doctor episode but didn't that's been sitting in our inbox for the better part of a year now is some feedback from Jason Yates actually talking about an audio we had referred to in a previous episode called Creatures of Beauty. So I just want to read that out. Uh, Hey guys, this is Jason in London again. Prompted by a comment on your podcast, I checked out Creatures of Beauty. Wow. This is the best Big Finish audio I have ever heard. The Fifth Doctor and Nyssa and a twist-laden story told out of sequence to incredible effect. I loved Sarah Sutton as a teenager, but was never convinced she was any good. I just liked her. In this story, she absolutely shines. The entire cast delivers a specific, believable, and compelling run. It's a genuine thing of mastery. The twist hit me like a slow bullet. Don't miss this gem. Thanks for the podcast, guys. Jason. Wow. I hope he listens and hears his uh, feedback read out. (laughs) Indeed. indeed. (laughs) Sorry it took us so long to finally read it out. I I totally agree with uh, his sentence there. I actually thought there was something wrong with the audio when I was listening to it, thinking, oh, the track's mixed up or something. Yes. I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it in a long time, but I remember really liking it. I've suddenly got the urge to want to go put it on the iPod and listen to it again for the first time in ages. So. I think I'm going to listen to it again. I, I, it's been a long time. Oh, thank you, Jason. Written and by Nicholas please. Briggs. Yes, written by Nicholas Briggs. So we're not, see, we are not totally down about everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So what, are we doing, so what are we doing for our next podcast? Well, our next podcast, we're going to be going back into Do- firmly into Doctor Who territory, and we're going to be going back to the early adventures. Uh, that's a range from Big Finish that we hadn't previously talked about before, focusing on the first two Doctors. But for our next episode, we'll be looking at two first Doctor adventures, The Doctor's Tale and The Santarans. Uh, the That's numbers right. on those, if you're wondering, um, the Doctor's Tale um, 
is also known as 1.2 because it's part of the first yeah, series. Yeah. Of, since yeah. the second one. And, and I think the Santarans is 3.4 because I think it's the last one from that season. Yes, yes, it is. Oh, if you'd so like to have a listen and maybe get some feedback in about that. Yes, uh, good. indeed. We'd lo- always love to hear from you, the listeners, uh, even when you have negative things to say about us. <laughs> yeah. But can, can I just say one thing with that, though, that people will always have differing opinions about things. It doesn't mean somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's, does everybody like chocolate? No. My wife What's wrong with those people, chocolate. Robert? <laughs> something <laughs> wrong with those people that don't like chocolate. <laughs> I don't like eating broad beans. To, to me, they make me vomit. But some people like eating broad beans, same with Brussels sprouts, you know? So, yeah, we ha- all have different tastes or uh, opinions. Hmm. And I have to say that as honest reviewers here, not getting paid to review this stuff ourselves, we're buying this stuff out of pocket and talking about it here on the show, largely out of a love for Doctor Who and a love for what Big Finish has done with it. You know, I think we reserve the right to say what we feel about these stories. Um, Mm. If we liked something, we'll say that we liked it, as you can tell with this episode. If we love something, we'll definitely say that. If we dislike something, we're probably going to be very strong about it. Whether we need to be as strong about it as I was about the Tenth Doctor audios is a topic for debate for a whole other time and episode. But we hope you'll stick with us in the future uh, now that we're back, Mm. and hopefully we'll be back on something of a regular schedule. So we hope you'll keep joining us and keep listening. So I guess until next time, that's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. It's goodbye from them. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Take care. Finish Productions, The Shape of Things to Come. The world is ruined, I get it, but why show me? Because Dr. Philip Raven, permanent representative of the United Kingdom to the United Nations, you are the man our systems predict as having the best chance to save the future. Save the... I just walked from my plane into 1940, so I'm fairly confident this isn't real. It's real enough. We're travelling via psychic projection, which is considerably more proactive than just dreaming. Just just shut up for a minute and watch what I'm trying to show you. Why am I dreaming a really pushy woman? One of the most significant moments of the century, triggered by a silly misunderstanding over a dental plate. Significant moments? That was war breaking out. You say this is real, but it clearly isn't because the Second World War didn't break out in 1940 over a stupid argument on a train. Nor did normal people wander around armed to the teeth. It's all just... An alternative. What? This is what comes after the fighting. The raid of the germs. Someone's coming. 
Any sign of infection? Why take a risk? If we want civilization to move again, then we'll just do as we're told. A dictatorship. You were chosen based on logistics. You will be at precisely the right place at precisely the right time. To do what? Big Finish. We love stories.